Welcome back to the Sin Geeks Podcast. We are your hosts, William Belk and David Shablock. Hi, this is going to be fantastic. We are joined by the one, the only, David Hallowell, who is the co-founder of LifeCast Bodies. So if you don't know what that is, please Google it. They are the insanely realistic uh, mannequins, basically, uh, that have been around for a few years now. I'll let David tell his story, but uh, we're going to jump into this. Uh, di- Shablock and I actually sat down with you last year in Los Angeles, and it was at the second skin launch party. We kind of sat off in the corner away from the rest of the crowd, avoiding everybody else, and had the most wonderful conversation for a good hour, maybe hour and a half. And afterwards, we both said, holy shit, we should have recorded every minute of that. Yes. What you are seeing now is basically a tribute to a conversation that we had a year ago, but we'll see, we'll see how this plays out. So uh, tell us you know, your background, who you are, where you came from, and how you ended up where you're at now. So I'm Dave. Uh, I started, I suppose, my adult journey uh, in the British military uh, in the 80s and uh, trained as a combat medic. Uh, Met my wife in the Falkland Islands uh, and then I decided that uh, military life wasn't really for me. That's the nicest way to put what happened. So uh, I moved into the ambulance service and worked my way up and became head of education for an ambulance service in the UK with about 3,000 staff that I looked after. Uh, and I suppose in that 30-year journey, uh, just got fascinated really by simulation, how I could get more out of my learners. Um, I did a a master's degree in training um, rather than education because I felt it was all about vocational work and so started to pick apart really understanding skills and how to develop skills and how to make better paramedics and that that was the start of the journey. Um, At the same time the world was changing, I suppose that's again another story but the world was changing and getting a little bit more violent and things happened. Uh, on a global scale, such as 9/11, and you know a lot of those things that that really transformed our world, you know, um, and obviously for those of us that were suddenly in senior command ranks, we suddenly had to start and focus on things like terrorism and mass casualties and managing bleeding patients in in very different ways. So a lot of my early military training actually came back in and was quite useful in in the latter years. 2012. Probably my career highlight really as a paramedic. Um, I was one of the strategic commanders for the Olympic sailing events, so Gold Command. Um, And uh, we we spent sort of six years training up to that point. Um, And then from 2012 onwards, um, I'd had enough of the health service and I thought, where's my career gonna go? Um, And I was lucky enough to be headhunted to go out and work in the Middle East and uh, start preparing the ground really for the World Cup in Qatar which has, has happened this year. So, uh, so I had 12 months away from my family, living in the Middle East, and uh, Rob, my business partner uh, at LifeCast, came over. Uh, we were doing some training for Special Forces guys over there, and uh, we sat there one day in the desert and said, you know what, we can do something very special with the skills that we've got and the knowledge that we've got. And so we started our, our journey, which ended up as, as LifeCast, and we started LifeCast six years ago. So. You know, it's been, been a fascinating journey. I mean, truly fascinating. Uh, I'm just lucky to still be alive, really. So I'm glad you can remember a conversation from a year ago. <laughs> so my, my first time hands-on with the LifeCast body uh, was actually the first day that I met Pete with Echo, Pete yep. Ford. Fantastic. And so it would have been about four years ago. But at that point, I'd already been watching you guys, you know, from afar, seeing it online. You post a lot on you know, LinkedIn and yep. some of the other social media websites were showing a lot of the work that you're doing. Uh, what... At what point did you make that decision of, you know what, all, you know, there's a lot of great mannequins out there, but they're all 
Like, yeah. how do we create something that's hyper-realistic to get that emotional response? What was, what was the thought process that went into that? Do you know, I've been, I've been educating people for about 20 years, and every time they came up with the same words, it's not like this in the real world. Mm -hmm. I can't relate to plastic. It's not, you know, this isn't like a real person. And I thought, okay, there must be another answer. And so uh, we reached out to a guy called John Schoonerad, John uh, had worked on Saving Private Ryan, Gladiator, Mission Impossible, Kingsman, all of those. He made all so the bodies. Small movies nobody's heard of. No, no, little movies that people don't really know. And, um, uh, and I reached out to him via email and I said, um, you know, I understand you're based in Elstree Movie Studios and you make bodies. I said, I've, I've made a body, I've sort of created my own monster, you know, can, can we bring it up and show you? So he, uh, he said, uh, yeah, and I sent him a photograph. And the, the, the wording in the photograph, I think, am I allowed to swear? Oh, the, yes. The, the, the wording that I got back was, it's shit. <laughs> um, that was it. And we didn't hear from John for a little while. About a month later, he said, come and see me. Bring your, bring your monster with you. And so we took it up, uh, and he basically took a knife to it, cut it apart, and said, that's rubbish. <laughs> we looked at what he was able to build, and it was like, do you know what? This is the answer. This is the answer. This man and his team are the answer to our, to our prayers. Um, and so we started really just copying people. So, you know, um, they've got some very special skills. They're 3D scanning people, obviously life casting people. John developed the, uh, the concept of life casting. So he, he'd been life casting for just over 30 years. Um, and again, you know, we're, we're based in the home of Star Wars. So John, mm -hmm. John's background goes way back to, to some of the really early Star Wars stuff. So, you know, we're, we're just incredibly privileged, really, to work with some of the best artists in the world, sculptors in the world. You know, they work at Madame Tussauds, and then they'll mm -hmm. come to us, and, you know, or we'll send them on to Madame Tussauds, or they'll go off and do a movie for a couple of months, and then they'll come back. And, uh, and we see ourselves as sort of the home for all these freelance guys to say, yeah, yeah, come, come and work with us, you know? Um, so it, it's really exciting, you know, uh, we don't lose that many people, mm -hmm. um, which is, is good news, you know, a lot of them will still return, even if they've been away for a year, they'll still come back, because we've got that sort of family attitude, I suppose. That speaks very, very highly. I mean, turnover is, when, when I did management and retail, that was, a, that was the indicator. It, it's, it's all about that. It's all about the culture that you create. But, you know, I, I see some of the stuff they've done, and, and you, you know, you may have seen it, that we've got... Uh, there's a program on Disney Channel called Bringing Up Baby, I think it's called. Yeah. And, um, and in that you've got elephants and you've got tigers and they're all in the womb and then they grow and they grow and they grow. And so, you know, for a period of time, our, our factory was full of elephants at different <laughs> stages, you know, being sculpted and, you know, seals and all sorts of things. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a completely crazy place to work, but actually brilliant for my mind, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So... There was a story you were talking about last time, and, and you know, what Will didn't tell you was we were just happened to be looking over, you know, Echo Healthcare's second skin and all that, and you walked in and drug us to a table and then just blew our minds with a million different <laughs> stories. I will say the first time I ever heard you speak was at Ghost Miami, Good. and I know that three or four people, we were sitting in the back, and we were just mouth-dropped, and then talked about you the rest of the time you you are a very very good presenter i think Bless for you. our industry i've coined you as yours the steve jobs of our industry because okay. it's we love hearing you so we're gonna we're gonna rehash a story tell us a story about and, and i'm going to the details are not going to be good enough and i'm not going to cue you well enough but the middle east mm -hmm. two fat you're having to train two factions of people that mm -hmm. just want to see the destruction of the other people mm -hmm. 
give us the background of that. Okay, so around about 2015, I think, 2015, mm-hmm. 2016, uh, Rob and I were doing a little bit of work with the World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. We had a, a friend of ours called Stuart, um, and we get a message to say, guys, you know, do you want to come out and, and do some training? We're used to going to parts of the Middle East to train. I'd lived out there. We'd spent a lot of time in different parts like Yemen and you know, some, some really not pleasant places. Um, and so we got this call and it was, you know, do you want to come over to Beirut? And we'd been to Beirut a couple of times before. Everyone knew us. We'd worked for the Red Cross. Uh, we'd worked for the um, uh, Agency for Swiss Development who, who put a lot of money into that region. And so they said, look, you know, do, do you want to come over and do some training? Um, and we said, well, how much are you willing to pay us? Mm-hmm. And they said, quite a lot of money. And I should have probably twigged there was something wrong at that point, but I didn't because I just love doing things. So, uh, so we head over to Beirut, uh, we get picked up and we get taken down to uh, a place called Tyr, T-Y-R, um, which is on the Palestine border, so southern, southern Lebanon beautiful beautiful place lots of history like go you know i mean going back to roman times and you know it's absolutely fantastic so the the idea was we were going to run a gold command cell we were going to use an immersive classroom there were lots of things that we were going to do and we basically spent the week uh designing a a one-day event so we didn't really know who the players were we didn't really know the geography um, all of that stuff we were told we would we'd be told when we were out there to be determined don't worry yeah, about to that. be determined yeah exactly. nothing to be concerned with no not at all so uh, so day one uh, we went and, and looked at the geography and it was really interesting because when the when there'd been a, uh, an Israeli uh, event where Israel had come into to um, uh, to Lebanon uh, Certain houses had been built, um, and those houses were built without planning permission. And so there was a, you know, uh, there were whole blocks of flats that were built in, in this area, and the area just happened to be on the way to the hospital. So we were like, okay, that's useful to know. And we basically just spent time learning learning the geography, really. Then uh, in the afternoon, we went and met the first few players, and they were the Red Cross, and they were the military, and they were the local uh, mayor. That was, that was a, a, a great day. Um, and then uh, we went and we started being introduced to a couple of groups. Um, uh, they would be described here in, in America as terrorist organizations. I think that's the word that we, you'd use. Um, and we, uh, we spent time with them, uh, looked at their training, looked at, at their funding, looked at what they do. Um, and what they do is they deliver healthcare uh, to their community, so to their religion, they have their own ambulances that serve that community in this part of, of Lebanon, um, and they're not viewed as terrorists, obviously, in in their own country. They're, they're, you know, it's it's more down religious lines. So anyway, we we chose to do a natural disaster, um, so uh, rather than a than a, anything that could have gone too political, and uh, and so we set them an earthquake, um, and it starts off by them sitting in a sitting in an immersive classroom and we make the earthquake happen around the guys and so that blew their minds because they'd not been in one before um, and uh, the walls shaked and everything went a little bit crazy for them for a little while and then they realized there'd been an earthquake and then we started the feeds coming in and so the first feed was um, that the uh, the block of flats that I spoke about both of them fell to the ground and we, we had some movie guys who were able to help us uh, source bit clips of the real buildings falling down they looked very very similar 
Um, and so we, we, you know, we showed the guys where they were on the map. That stopped anybody going to hospital and it gave them the first two, three hundred casualties. And we carried on really just layering up. So the next thing that happened, I think, uh, was a, a petrol station caught fire. And then uh, the smoke from the petrol station could have gone one of two ways. If it went the usual way from the sea up into the mountains, then it would really not do a lot of damage. But if it blew the other way, it would fill up a Palestinian camp with 50,000 people in it. So that was a bit of a challenge for well, them. And you said, uh, now how many different groups of people were there? There were eight, eight players. And they all got along, right? No. 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 That was, so I was going to say, I wanted the, to make sure people the, heard that point of it. Yeah. So the two, the two groups, and I'm not going to name them on, the, no. on this, but the two groups uh, had, had both uh, tried to kill each other previously. Um, and there's a lot of bad blood. So, you know, I'm sitting on an opposite side of the table to you, Dave. And if you can imagine, all of my people would be behind you and yep. they're all armed. Yep. And all of your people would be behind me and I'm armed. And that's how they set the room up. They chose to set the room up that way. But when you're the, when you're the guy actually controlling this, it's not the most pleasant of experiences. Yeah, so, so that, that's, that's the interesting part is that, you know, you had to do this not for a group of people that are all going to work together. Oh no. It's actually the antithesis. It is you need to have this simulation and make them work together when that is the last thing they want to there was money attached. Well, of course. So, so the one reason for them working together was so that these these funding organisations would carry on putting money in. And so there was this there was a like a playbook, if you like, yeah. that you know we will all work together to achieve this this aim, and we will do it for this one day while this crazy English guy and his friend uh, are in the room. And we had loads of observers from World Health and you know all the all these other organisations. But um, but yeah, it, it it was crazy. You know, I, I think I've spoken on other podcasts about the you know. I, there was a part of the sim that I, I'm not overly proud of, proud of uh, where I went and um, as, when we were designing it, I thought, well, how can I personalize this? How can I really get some messages to hit home? And I was talking to the guys about where they lived, so I made sure that their houses disappeared and that their offices disappeared and all their infrastructure disappeared. But, but then I, I sort of made the mistake of making it too personal and I actually got a, got a chap's daughter to record her, I, I recorded her voice uh, saying, Daddy, I'm, I'm at the beach and the tide's gone out and I've got loads of fish for tea. Um, and she just phones him up when, yeah. at, at the point of the tsunami. She phones him up and, and he, he genuinely, because he hasn't seen outside for the last eight hours. Yeah, he, he's that's now, the thing is, it's a, it, you, this was an unfolding event for unfolding hours. Unfolding event for hours. I mean, we were there for eight, eight hours of sim. But, you know, at one point I, I took it down a quite dark path, which I'm not, not proud about because then the guy thinks he's, real, you know, he's not seen daylight. He thinks his daughter is at the beach, is, in, you know, is caught up in this tsunami. And I never really got the, t got the chance to say sorry, never really got the chance to debrief the guy in the way that, that you would want to. Um, and that's why I tell the story now, because, you know, there are, there are days in your life when you just do something where you think that was a bit... Of a yeah. dick. I was a dick there. Yeah. That was the wrong thing to do. I, I used the be a dick, don't be a dick. You know, which button do I push today or push the wrong button? Then, yeah. I think. Learn from our mistakes. Learn they from our mistakes, yeah. yeah. I still beat myself up. So, actually, you know, e even six, seven, eight years later, I'm still beating myself up about that one day. So, so you know, he's won. I mean, there's, yeah. no, there's no doubt in that. I'm sure it was a 10 minute thing for him. For me, it was, it was a career moment where I thought, oh, that was a bad thing to do. But you made it through, and now we all get to benefit from your yeah, yeah, sure. unfortunate experience. Sure. 
I mean, you know, we, we, we've done work all over the world, but, you know, that, that particular sim was probably one of the best ones in terms of who it was, where it was, you know. Um, the players got a lot out of it, you know, and obviously, I, I, I presume most people know, but uh, three years ago, there was an explosion in Beirut, um, the fertilizer explosion, and, it, and you know, it made 30,000 people homeless. And, and the fire chief who was in the sim with us, um, he lost 13 people in the first second of that explosion because they were trying to put out the fire and so they were, they were basically just destroyed. And, and we got messages from him and his team to say, Mr. David, thank you. you know, and it was one of the proudest things I can ever hear. He, he said, when we were going through it, we just felt like it was one of your sims. And it's just like, okay well then I've, I've achieved what I needed to achieve. Mission accomplished yeah. at that point. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I remember that. I didn't think about it until you said it, but I remember seeing the aerial photos from oh. that and it was just devastating. You, you can watch the video over and over and over. Most people don't realize that there were people killed that were actually standing there trying to put out the fire. It's, it's part of the story that isn't told. You know, the, the bits that are told is, is the devastation to the, to the local area. You know, a lot of the Sims, you know, we, we take out things like hospitals. You know, we take out all your infrastructure on those mass casualty Sims. And again, that's exactly what happened to them. You know, the explosion took out the local hospital. You know, it overwhelmed the local hospital and they set up field hospitals and everything else. But they've been trained for it. I mean, that's what, that's what my job was, to make sure they could do it. That's why so, we do this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like major incidents. I'm getting too old now for going on these adventures to dangerous places. I'm a grandfather now, so I've got to be more responsible. That's what everyone tells me. <laughs> well, I always, I always thought I had an interesting career, and then I sit down and talk to you, and oh, I'm like, oh, man, there's so much stuff I never even touched on out no, there. No, I like just it's... trip into these things. <laughs> it's not by design. I wish it was. You know, People talk about portfolio careers, and it's like, that wasn't what happened. It's just somebody says, do you, want, do you want to come and see this? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll go see it. What is it? You know, Just can't look away. You're just drawn yeah, to the light. Just drawn to it every time, every time. <laughs> Well, I mean, this this is one of those things. We, I mean, we, had the, we had that meeting last year, had a great conversation, enjoyed a lot of this. It's always fun to talk to you, man. I, every time I see you, I, I get excited to come chat with you. And, of course, we're always so busy at these events. I'm glad we got to iron you know, iron out a time and come join you. Yeah. Uh, what advice do you have? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people like us, all three of us here, all started as paramedics mm -hmm. and kind of transitioned to simulation. You took a much different route than the two of us did. Even David and I took drastically different routes. What's your advice to somebody who's, you know, looking at making that transition, jumping in, coming from an EMS background and wants to be involved more in education and simulation? I think the EMS background is, is you know, for, for me as a sim guy, is probably one of the best because we, we have to be able to deal with anybody from any age. So, you know, from 22 weeks now, the minimum age of viability up to 110 years of age. With any medical condition or traumatic condition or whatever condition, anywhere. And no other specialty has to do all of that stuff. They, nobody else has that, you know, that scope of practice. I think, um, I think a, lot of, a lot of the work that we do that's different than anybody else, it's all environmental. You know, how does the environment shape our behavior? You know, and we know it does. If, if I was to put us outside in, in the cold, you're probably not gonna do your skills as well as if you're in a lovely warm environment. So, you know, a, a lot of things that I've played with over the years have been, well, how does heat affect me? How does smell affect me? And, you know, or how does smell affect my learners, more importantly? But, you know, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of just working with some really crazy people who say, do you know what? Actually, there are a lot of things that affect how our learners learn. And, and I'll give you a really good, good example. I worked with a guy and he was monitoring the levels of CO2 in a standard classroom. 
So I, I was shit at school. I was really rubbish mm-hmm. at school uh, for lots of reasons. But, but you know, I'm going to blame carbon dioxide. <laughs> because what happens was you put 30 people in a room, you lock the doors, you close the windows, the CO2 goes up. As the CO2 goes up, their brains start to shrink in terms of all the blood vessels and everything else, as we know, happens when you get too much CO2 in a room. And then, obviously, the ability to learn goes down. And this guy had developed this little, this little tool that measured CO2 levels in a classroom and actually was able to show that it wasn't bad teaching, necessarily, but actually it was stuff like ventilation and having, a, 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 you know, opening the windows actually stopped the CO2 levels from going up. And just to have that conversation with somebody is, is a mind-blowing thing because you think, my God, my entire classroom, my entire life, every classroom was too small, windows weren't open, door was shut, you know, and there we were, breathing out all the CO2 for, you know, two-hour lessons. Well, no wonder none of us could concentrate, you know. We were and we wonder why schools are ground zero for every outbreak, right, of every <laughs> yeah, event. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Kids well, come home sick every other week with yeah. something. And it's yeah, all these little things that we don't think about until we think about it. And the, the same guy was measuring light levels. He had a little, you know, light-level monitor and looked at, at daylight effects and so many things. And I, I just love being around people who say, do you know what, actually... Have you thought about this or have you thought about that? And I think, you know, if I was if I was to say anything to anyone wanting to jump into our world of simulation, I think the, the most important thing is, is spend a bit of time and just think about, you know, what it is. What, what are you trying to achieve? You know, um, you know, I, I've seen some amazing educators who use nothing more than, you know, a Lego brick you know, a Lego person, and they can make you cry because your Lego person's about to die because they're such great educators. And, and I think those are the guys that, you know, we want to emulate. I think, unfortunately, in our world, there's a lot of lazy people, and I was one of those, where you, you only know one company and you only know one mannequin. And I used to spend four, five hundred thousand pounds a year for my, t- my tutors. I had 26 tutors to equip them with the kit. They'd break it every year and then I'd spend the same amount of money and I only ever spent it with one company for my entire career because I didn't know that there were others. Mm-hmm. And I think coming to something like this where you can see so many different vendors and talk to people and say, oh, that's really cool, you know, does it do X and Y and Z? You know, I, I hate the fidelity conversations. I still, <laughs> they still drive me insane. I've still had a lot of those here at this <laughs> event. You know, oh, is it high fidelity? I don't know, you tell me. And they're like, oh, you can see the buzzer going off in their brain. It's like, who is this guy? Why is he asking me? Surely it's an obvious thing. And I'd say, if you're asking me about technology, it's low technology. But if you're asking me how close to real it is, it's pretty bloody close. Take a look at it. Yeah, exactly. We, and I, unfortunately, I'm one of those that it, it, I have to fight that battle because in, in the air medical world, our accreditation requires dynamic simulators, yeah. which is their way of saying high fidelity in the technological stance, yeah. right? So as much as I love the life cast, until I can put some electronics to it and make its chest rise and fall, I cannot use it for accreditation scenarios. So that's something that we've Crazy. had to fight for a few years now, which I've gone back and forth with you guys and Echo on that for a long Work time. Work in progress. Oh yeah, it's coming. Push the ball forward. So uh, one thing that I, I've been enjoying is you have a passion project currently. Mm-hmm. And can you give our listeners, because I've been trying to participate in that, a lot of people have, and that's it's a great group project and things that you've been prosing to everybody. Um, so give us the short end of the story on that. The short end. Okay, so uh, I, I teach at Brighton Medical School um, only a couple of times a year. 
And I was sitting there thinking, right, I'm getting older now. I'm due to retire in a few years, maybe. Mm, you're not allowed. I don't know. But that, that's sort of my thing. So I, I did a mind map just of my own thing to say, okay, you know, what does simulation mean to me? And I just sat there and doodled it out. And then I thought, oh, I'll just post it on LinkedIn. And then suddenly all these people came through and they're like, can I have a copy? Can I have a copy? Can I have a copy? It's like, yeah, of course you can. I mean, it's just a, it's just dumping it's a what was in my head. It was just rubbish. And, uh, and then I thought, well, hang on a minute. Why don't I do a post about every single strand of the, the mind map? So, you know, and we, we started off with environmental stuff and then we went a step further. And, we, um, uh, and then we started looking at the mannequins themselves. And I'm just working my way through it. So every, every time I haven't got anything else to say, then I'll go back to the mind map and I'll say, right, today we're going to talk. I think we, we spoke recently about leads and Correct. connecting them to mannequins. And, you know, and, and again, just having people like yourself, Dave, who are saying, you know, yeah, yeah, well, this is, yeah, this is how I make my leads is, is amazing. And, and the more of us that can share that stuff, I think the project will probably be two or three years long by the time I actually finish, you know, dumping all the rubbish that I've got in my head. But it, it's such a collaborative thing because you, you come on and say, have you seen this video? And uh, Alex in the UK, you know, he, he, um, he posts Alex crazy Street. things that, that he's up to. And, you know, and it's just mind blowing because suddenly everyone's chipping in saying, well, I've, I've got this resource or I've got that resource. It wasn't, it was never set out to be anything more than me doing one post. And then people were like, oh, could, could, could I have a bit of that information? It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, okay. So, so that's really you know, what, it, what it's mushroomed into is about three years worth of posts with one theme, which is to try and unpick all of the stuff around simulation. You know, and, and I love how you repost the map and then, okay, bring everybody back to the table of the map where and they we, say, yeah. okay, this is what we've accomplished and this is where we're going to go from here now. Yeah, and, and you know, we built, some, we built some really crazy projects. I think I, think I showed, you know, the, the rollover car that we built out of, you know, plexiglass so that we could see the students managing somebody who was upside down in a car. And so many of those sort of early concepts, you know, we built the fold away ambulance. And, mm -hmm. and again, you know, sharing those ideas with people, I think is, is another, you know, another great thing. Locally around me, um, there were some guys that built a, the same sort of thing for a car. Yep. And what's really neat about it is it's built in two sections that unbolt so you can go through a doorway. Brilliant. Perfect. And you come in, like, it's easier to transport. You can, you can in most, you know, vehicles, you can transport it, you know, without, like, a truck or something yeah. like that. But it can go through doorways and then be re reassembled and be the full dimensions of a car. Fantastic. Oh, it's great. That, that's what we did with our ambulance, you know, the fold-away ambulance. It's just mm -hmm. display boards, yeah. you know. But then people were like, well, could I have an emergency, be uh, emergency bed space, a, you know, bay? Yeah, of course you can. You can print it to be whatever you want. And that, you know, we, again, you know, we were on the stand with the guys from Immersive, Dave and Chris, and, you know, we, we were lucky enough to be at the starting point of their journey when they had a gazebo way back in 2013. It was a gazebo with, with his mum's sheets, and he was projecting from the floor on the outside of the gazebo. It wasn't like we see now. Yeah. And, um, uh, and again, standing in that for the first time, I will always remember that experience, yep. you know, always remember it. I mean, now, you know, now it, I, I'm, I'm focused on the little girl with Down syndrome. Yes. doing a lot of work with Gwen now and her family. Uh, and again, I, th I, think, I think I'm trying to represent those people that can't talk for themselves or those communities that don't get any representation. So it's either the tiny babies, nobody's really championing their cause very well, 
um, or it, it's it's people with disabilities. You know, the the guys at Echo did a transgendered mannequin. Nice. I've done a couple of those now. So, again, you know that that's nice to see. Um, and I think it's it's a great thing to be exploring all of these you know all of these things that are happening in the world through simulation. You know, it's it's, it's really one of the most exciting times we could ever have. You know, I want to do a a, a child with. Um, uh, sort of fused in his wheelchair, mm -hmm. so cerebral palsy or something like that. Because again, I was t I was talking to some of my friends, EMS educators, and I, and I'm like, you know, and they said, well, yeah, but when they go to sleep, they just relax, don't they? And I'm like, no, they're fused, mate. They don't yeah. they don't suddenly suddenly become not fused. Yeah. You know, when they go into cardiac arrest, they don't suddenly become floppy. They're still fused. Exactly. And and I think we don't get taught that stuff. We don't get taught how to manage these children in in that situation. You know, what would I do? How would I resuscitate it? How would I cannulate them even? So, you know, there's so many things that, that as, as educators, we, we've never really gone there. Um, the, the Gwen one, I'll, I'll just yeah. tell you. Uh, She's beautiful. So her, Gwen's mom, Cora, um, is worried every single day when she sends her daughter out because everybody, every EMS, every doctor is trained on a normal child. And I mean normal in terms of the mannequin. Correct. Um, and so they all head tilt and chin lift. Well, if you do that with somebody with Down syndrome, some of the kids with Down syndrome, they have a C1, C2 axial issue. That means that if you, if you did head tilt and chin lift, you could actually pinch their spinal cord. Mm. So you could do them a lot of damage. And, and so that's why that mannequin is so important because I want every EMS guy, when he sees somebody with Downs, to say, okay, I need to manage this slightly different, yeah? And, and the, the problem, if you try and do that with a normal looking mannequin and say, but for Downs, you, yeah. you have to do it differently, there's no point of reference. So, so the most important thing for me about Gwen is that I, I need everyone to have that conversation so that these kids are not having their necks snapped <laughs> it sounds stupid I think, but, and it's, I think, so but important. it's not it's it's very important and, and knowing the different types of things i i in my first sim center we did an lvad case right yeah and so we had a sim man classic yeah and then we did all of the lvad stuff Brilliant. and it's interesting because we did it with physicians we did it with, with ems and a lot of the things that we are used to looking for and doing all right you have a person altered mental status or barely minimally responsive we're going to check a pulse not with an LVAD, you're not. Yeah. Okay, well, put a pulse ox on them. Not with an LVAD. And just knowing those different things of, what do I do? Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. When I was coming up as a, as a paramedic student, we had one mannequin, right? And it was a white guy. And that was it. That was our female. That was our child. That yeah. was our adult. Uh, and, and it's still, I, I'll call it out, the entire industry still has a problem with that, where yeah. the majority of what we're seeing are, are white and male, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's getting better the last it few is. years we've seen it. I mean, look, even from this booth right now, I can see several mannequins that are people of color. You guys have been leading the way on that since the very beginning, right? Yeah. With you know, mannequins yeah. that are of advanced age or you know, different races. Uh, you mentioned the transgender mannequin. Where, where do we go from here? What's, how do we ensure that we continue to push that forward so that everybody's represented? Because right now, like, we're, it, it's a thing. We're focused on it. It's very important. But we're still seeing... It, just more white male mannequins than anything I think, else. I think the great news, Will, is that the others are, are watching. So, you know, five years ago when we started with Vivian, she was really the only older lady, you know. And now I see them on Laidl stand and I see them on Gomard stand, I see them on the Nazco stand. So people are starting, you know, they're starting to understand. Somebody's got to go first. You know, I, I don't know why it's always us, but somebody has to go first <laughs> in this world and say, right. And I think, you know, I hope 
that you know in five years time we'll see downs everywhere you know I, 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 I truly hope that you know there, there's some some members of the of the audience here who've got children with down syndrome who've yep. come up to me you know during the during the conference <coughs> and said my son my daughter's got down syndrome there's a a, a, a delegate here um, and she has Down syndrome, and she came over and spoke to us yesterday. And I just think, you know, it's so fantastic. But there must be so many other communities that are just not represented or just not spoken about. You know, I, I, I laugh, but, I, you know, we used to um, pierce our mannequins, you know, because, again, yep. most, most hospital clinicians have never taken out a Prince Albert or mm -hmm. they don't really know what one's all about. Yeah. So I'll quite often put them into the mannequin yep. so that people can have the experience of taking them out because it's only silicon. Yeah. And, you know, so again, when I'm feeling mischievous, <laughs> I'll send out a Vivian with ni nipples pierced, you ah. know, and, and she'll arrive somewhere and there she is with both nipples pierced. And it's like, come on, then what's, what's the problem? Like, you know, it's her choice. And that's what, you know, that's the bit that everybody seems to be missing is, you know, all of those bits of mischief, as I call them. But they well, and we still we very much think of these old ladies as being, you know, old and old innocent. Ladies. They don't have us. But in all reality, like I spent a lot of time in the cadaver lab, and you wouldn't believe the number of cadavers we have with implants. Yeah, yeah. Because we're getting older too, yeah. right? Yeah. Things that were kind of emerging when we were young are now being done by seventy and eighty year old yeah, yeah. people because they had it done thirty years ago in the nineties when yeah. it was cool. Think about that. It was thirty years ago, right? Vivian herself, she, you know, she hates the phrase geriatric. Yeah, she hates sure. the phrase elderly. <laughs> Yet we have elderly care wards in the UK. You guys have a whole geriatric community, you yeah. know, thing. Everything's called Jerry over here. Like, and it's just so wrong. You know, she, Vivian is, you know, Vivian's a, an actress. You know, she's in The Crown at the moment. You know, she's been in Star Wars. She's done all these things. And she's very much alive. And, you know, and, and again, I, you know, I'm in awe of, of Vivian, really. Pete, the older man that we, we make, you know, Pete himself, pre-COVID, he was swimming three times a day. And he's got defined lap muscles and everything. But unfortunately, because of COVID, he stopped swimming. And so the change in his body is he started to become a little bit of a wizened old man. And so again, the really exciting part is we're gonna try and capture Pete now and have a pre-COVID and a post-COVID Pete, just for my own, you know, my own brain to say, look at the damage that COVID did. How, how fantastic is that, you know? And I think one of the things that, you know, it's not, it's not a new concept to model a mannequin after a real person, no. uh, but one of the things that I like, and I see you post this stuff on LinkedIn, is you guys keep the story with your simulator yes. long after we've done it. Because like, you know, Andy, the kid from CAE that they used for 15 or 20 years right, was yep. somebody's kid in the yep. factory. But you only get that if you go to the actual factory and you take the tour, you get that story. Yeah. Whereas you guys are continuing to push these out. And you mentioned like Vivian's an actress. I, I remember texting David about this while back. One of my favorite acting credits she has is, uh, uh, oh, you know where I'm going with this, don't go. you? Yep, yeah. the Human Centipede movies. Yeah. Just, she was in that. She's so, the mother in that, isn't so, the, so the minute the minute I saw that, I was like, oh my God, that makes sense now, which is hilarious. And I'm embarrassed that I actually watched that no, movie, no. but it's... <clears throat> You just can't look away. It's such a nightmare. But these are these are real people, and they continue to be involved with you and your team, and you guys continue to promote them, not only from a sales point on the simulator, but also saying, like you just said, as they continue to develop, you can continue to advance that mannequin. And, and Vivian herself, will, you know, she works with teams of nurses. So so one of the teams that I, I love are based down in Plymouth, and they do, um, they do some work where their elderly care module is based around Vivian. What would Vivian want? And they get to the point where Vivian dies at the end. So, you know, if you can imagine that you spent like six weeks, you know, mm -hmm. nursing this lady and eventually she gets to the point of, of dying and they have the 
death and they lay out the body and all that other stuff. And then what they do on the final day is they actually have a call with the real Vivian so that the students don't think, oh, I've killed that old lady off. <laughs> but actually they get a, a talk from the real Vivian where Vivian comes in and says, right, OK, you know, how are you all? And, and you know, and this is my life story. And I just think, thank yeah, gosh, no. you know, <laughs> yep. because again, you, you know, it, it's, it's amazing what people do. You know, absolutely amazing. I love our world, and, and I think I, I keep quoting, but, you know, we are the mavericks, we are the crazies, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, some, somebody has to go first. I, I absolutely love what you guys do because you're sharing information, and, and you know, I, I believe in this whole, you know, foam concept. You know, we should be sharing everything we do. It's very difficult when you've got the big boys that, that hold on to all the information that they've got, and, you know, that can make life very difficult for, for a lot of us. But, you know, we're very much about sharing as much as we can. We get people up, uh, you know, when you, when you guys eventually get to the UK, you know, you've got to come, you know, we'll, Please, take, we'll take yeah. you around the Star Wars stuff and you can see how we do every part of it. Most of it you'll know better than I do, you know, I'm sure, but I'm still. sure. But it, it's, you know, it's a great opportunity and a bit of fun, yes. you know, normally for people, you we, know. You know, we've been pretty open. There's a lot of competition in the industry and in my industry too, right? Yeah. You know, in their medical, there's a lot of competition, but I, I am a firm believer that if something we're doing has the ability to impact patient safety and patient outcomes, we absolutely should not keep that to ourselves. And that needs to be shared. Yeah. And whether that's with a direct you know, financial competitor, another yeah. company, if it's affecting patients' lives, we should make that freely available to yeah. everyone. And you know, that's that's my my approach to most things simulation, which is how we got you know started and, doing this. And we're the same. I mean, you know, we, we view it in the same way. You know, nothing is nothing is off limits in terms of people coming and seeing how we do it. You know, we've had most of the big boys wandering around, you know, mm -hmm. and, and again we're quite quite willing to share pretty much everything with them. You know, um, I had Jon Lerdl over on the yep. stand this week, you know, videoing for his team, you know, because again, I want him to understand what Gwen's all about. And, you know, so, so rather than surreptitiously doing it, it's like, yeah, let me, let me walk you through, let me show you what it's all about. I think that's really important, mm -hmm. you know? Well, David, I, again, man, this is awesome. I, I'm really happy we got to it's, catch you again this year. We were a little worried that our schedules weren't going to work out. Uh, and of course, we can always do this remotely, but the seven hour time difference makes it a little tricky. I'm there anytime you need me. Just just let me know. You know, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. As I say there's so much I learned from you, and I think that's that's the way it should be. Well, we appreciate that. Any any parting thoughts for for any of the listeners out there, either about your products or about your vision going forward? What do you think? Oh, I've gone I've gone blank in my head. That, that's not good, is it? I think my vision my vision is you know I'll keep sharing for the next few years. You know, I'm a, as I said, I'm a grandfather now and. I'm starting to reevaluate certain things, you know, um, and I think the the really important part for us as a team is, you know, to to listen to the community about, you know, right, you know, what next. I think I've shared with you probably the direction of travel really for us is, is to try and pick up some of these other disabled communities or differently able communities. You know, I've, I've enjoyed the work that, that's been done around the trans. I think it's, it's fascinating and I hope that will start to make a difference over the next few years where people have more open conversations about that. Uh, I'm not saying I understand all of that myself, you know, and, and again, being a male in my, you know, white male in my 50s, all of my biases and everything else, I've got to unpick those every day. Um, and I, again, I, I really enjoy talking about where all my biases come from. And, you know, when I, when I surround myself, when I look around my colleagues, 
they're all almost the same age as me. They're all almost the same skin colour as me. They're almost all the same sexuality that I am. We almost listen to all the same music. Oh my God, they're all mini-me's, which is, <laughs> is just awful. They wouldn't like to think of themselves quite as crazy as I am. But, you yeah, know, it, it's fascinating how we, how we build these communities around ourselves. And I think it's just things like LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, they allow you to explore some of these other, you know, these other other areas. That's the first place you and I started talking Absolutely. was. You messaged me and just started asking questions and you were, you know, starting to talk about some of the projects you were working on. You're like, "Okay, this is what I can tell you and how would you do this?" And this is how we yeah. this is how we met. And and you know, like Paul Savage in the UK, you know, yes. he's doing a lot of lot of fascinating work and again, I know you and he we love you Paul. know collaborate very well. Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing. But yep. thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. It, it, it's a pleasure as always to catch up with you guys. Well, we hope to have you back another time, please, okay, if thank you don't you. mind. All right, take care. All right. So, for the Sim Geeks podcast, my name is David Shoplock. And I am William Belk. We appreciate you listening. Thank you. Good night. Good night.